Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Hello and welcome aboard the Strange Boat Podcast. I'm Keith Arthur and my crew today is a famous fishing son of a famous fishing father. Hal Morgan is one of the, uh, this island's great fly anglers. I was very careful not to fall into the country trap there because Hal is also a very proud Welshman, as was his father. That's the piping aboard out the way, Hal. How's life treating you, mate? Um, not too bad, to be honest with you, Keith. Just uh, returned from four days on Rutland, um, slightly tired, bleary-eyed, um, <laughs> fishing in gale force winds on Rutland, and, it, and the waves can get big. Unfortunately, not very successful, but we still had a great time. I, I can see you, I call them panderais, they're, they're <laughs> things that you get in the keys. You've got, I, I can see how and unfortunately our listeners won't be able to but we record this looking at each other down a very thin cable and um yeah you've got uh, i think a buff might have been a good call because the wind has definitely got to your chops hasn't it uh to be honest with you i, I have panda eyes from sort of march april um <laughs> so it's something new for me but um yeah uh the wind and the sun um i mean actually i'm, I'm just looking at my picture yeah there's a little tram line just going to my ear both sides um <laughs> it's part of fishing isn't it you know yeah. at the end of the 
Uh, you, you've got to protect your eyes, and uh, it sometimes gives you an edge on uh, seeing the fish coming under the water. But uh, absolutely, and 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 it's um it's also one of those things when you're fishing competitions, which are lock style type competitions. In other words, from a drifting boat, you're like a rower. You're actually going backwards, so the wind is always blowing into your face, which is uh, yes, it's um it's an well, unusual it's phenomenon. Yeah, it's, it's it's blowing over your back, but uh, when you're going into the back, gale force yeah, wind, yeah, yeah, um, it's uh, it it was quite sort of uh, interesting at times on the first day. Um, but the wind came down both arms and joined us in the basin, and uh, to be honest, by the dam, it looked more like the North Sea than <laughs> a reservoir in the middle of England. But uh, it was it was treacherous at times, but. Uh, some teams did really well, and some others just didn't come across the fish. Yeah, I, I, I saw some um, some reports. Lovely Julie Emerson posted a photo of the report sheet that I noticed on, on social media this morning. And, and one thing, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this now. I was going to come to this a bit later on, but we'll talk about it now, and we'll have a chat about your dad in a minute. The the interesting thing for me, um, as long, if I was reading the sheet right, was the in the weights of the some individual fish look quite low? Um, I remember when they they started a policy of stocking. It was nine hundred grams and up, so every fish put in was two pounds, and some on that weigh sheet certainly weren't two pounds. No, um, that ceased to exist now in Rutland. There's, there's no minimum stock, but. Um... I mean, I'll just give you a brief down on the match. The team orders with us was from Church down to Fantasy on the dam. Um, the Welsh Hawks, a team from Midwells, they annihilated everyone on day one. They had six boats down the dam. They fished brilliantly. Um, their secret was static. Do not move the flies and just let really? them. Uh, even in high winds, they were using floating lines. Um, on the other hand, there was a cracking bag from Keith. Uh, he went up for Southam. Basically, hero or zero, and on the first day, he had six fish for twenty-five pound for his six fish. Goodness me! Yeah, exactly. He he had lumps in the bag, and then mm. um, some others. You know, on the first day, it was as easy to come in with three or four, or actually come in with nothing. And there, and there was very good anglers coming in with nothing. And it just happened. If you didn't come across them, it's just, you know, it's one, it's the same thing in fishing. You know, if the luck's on your side, if you stop that engine two seconds sooner or two seconds later, you know, you might, you might have fish in front of you. And uh, yeah. it's one of those things. It's certainly a, a, a wonderful place to fish. I miss it. I've not been there for quite a long time for, for various reasons, but I used to love it. And, and I know we had a little chat a couple of weeks ago talking about Rutland and, and in similar conditions to those that you encountered over the last couple of days. I remember once being the first boat to make it up the North Arm and, and, and I did it by traversing the waves. So I was going... Yeah across the troughs rocking and rolling and, and and then you'd get to a bit where you had to go into the waves and there was water crashing over the front but i made it and once you get up there it's lovely up towards dickinson's and the transformer absolutely gorgeous and and oh, yeah. we, we fished the weed beds along there and and had some wonderful rainbows on top of the weed but i mean uh, on the first day we we were down by the church and i just said to the scottish jimmy carey i said look we've got to go and we went up the north and it was like that going across yeah. we got up there Perfect conditions. We had fish after fish after fish follow our flies, and every one of them turned away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things. Yeah. And like I said, it's not our day today. No. 
your turn will come again, mate, no doubt. Now, let's let's now um, go back to where I should have started at the beginning. I mentioned in the intro, you're, you're a very famous fishing son of a very famous fishing father. You're, you're, your dad, Mock, was so well-known, loved and respected in the fly fishing fraternity, not just in Wales, but not, not only in, in, in Britain. He was known all over the place, wasn't he, for his, his, his prowess, not only as an angler, but as a person. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, he was secretary of the Welsh Salmon and Trout Angling Association. Well, actually, he was called the Welsh Fly Fishing Association before that. Um, and he was secretary for that organisation for 28 years. Um, he actually retired as a headmaster um, early retirement. And I think that's when he started working. Um, he took over the secretaryship. <laughs> um, and he travelled the world with the Welsh Fly Fishing Team in the World Championships. Um yeah, in the early 90s, um, Spain pulled out of the World Championships with uh, six months to, uh, to go before the event. My dad, being my dad, says, don't worry about it, Wales will run it. Now, every country normally has two years to prepare for the World Championships. Oh, no, 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 he did it in six months, um, which was, one, a massive feat um, of organisation. He had a fantastic team around him. But what it really did, it, it did two things in this country. It put Welsh fishing on the map. It put the River Dee, um, put the River Dee in everybody's heart all over the world. Everybody's got a special place for the River Dee now and Llimbrenig. Um It also, on the other hand, um, it showed the home nations how they should fish rivers. Uh, we've never heard of Czech nymphs, Polish nymphing. Um, in those days, fishing the Dee, you'd fish the glides. Um, if you had any rough water in front of you, pocket water, you'd walk past it. Um, and then suddenly you'd watch a Polish or a Czech angler go straight into the rough water and just winkle every fish out of that beat. It was phenomenal angling. Um, so, it, you know, it, it was it nearly killed the old man, to be honest with you. Um, I was working in Swindon at the time. He phoned up. He said, for God's sake, get up here. I need a break. He, he was... On his, on his feet for 22, 23 hours a day during the championships. Um, and he had a great team around him, but being the old man, he, he just didn't, you know, he had to be there. But uh, I went up and I, I, I did three days flat out with him. I said, look, right, go to bed, go to sleep. I'm up now. I'll be up until six o'clock in the morning. I'll make sure the results are done. I'll make sure the teams have got, you can get up. And, and Which he did. I think he had four hours sleep every night instead of the two hours sleep that he was surviving on. Um, but also, you know, he, he, he loved Wales. Um, he, he wrote many books um, about Welsh flies. Um, he had a weekly column in the um, Western Mail, which is a national paper of Wales, uh, for 28 years, um, and talking a lot about the beauty of Wales and also... It was a great paper because a lot of the politicians read, oh, all the politicians read the Western Mail. And uh, every sort of two or three weeks, some political articles would go in and um, people in the government would, would start to listen, you know. So yeah. he was very influential that way. 
it, it must. I mean, he, he must be rotating in his grave at the moment. The way things are going in some aspects of, of Welsh waterways, and the pollution in some of the rivers, the Towy, the Tyvey, uh, the Wye now is the latest one, which we share as 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 two nations, if you like. We we share the Wye and we share the responsibility for it. But there doesn't seem to be much good news coming out of Wales with regard to water quality. You know, we've had it. I mean, the Thames famously thirty nine million tons of raw sewage a year up until quite recently and we're building a damn great tunnel to get rid of that but uh, it, it wales is a bit different they're wild rivers and, and it's it's unusual for them to suffer this kind of of, of adverse effect isn't it I, I, keith i wouldn't say unusual to be honest with you um the figures that have come out over the last two years over 300 recorded pollutions um natural resources wales um they will report every successful prosecution. Well, 300 pollutions and four prosecutions. Four Good. prosecutions. It, they are not fit for purpose. They are not doing their job. Um, they are not attending reported pollutions. It's getting to a case that farmers, unfortunately, the farming community are fantastic in Wales. That, you know, the number of farmers I know that work with fishing clubs. I know farmers that have given up part of their fields. So fishing, fishing clubs can have little car parks for anglers rather than you know parking on the side of the road, and then you get the five percent that ruin it for everybody else, and they don't care. Um, they'd rather pay the fine and carry on doing what they do, um, and. It virtually every week we are just hearing about new pollution, new pollution, new pollution, and nothing is happening. Um, we've got the Welsh government putting a nitrate-free zone in Wales. Um, we've got, I mean, as you said, the Y is a disaster. Um, luckily, I, I, there's one sort of slight positive is that the wild swimmers have been harping on a lot about it. And for some reason, wild swimming has more PR than anglers. <laughs> Tell me about um, it. Yeah, that, that, it's a phenomenal thing that is, isn't it? Considering it's it's virtually new. It's 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 yes. it's a, 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 an in COVID and post COVID phenomenon. All right, there always were people that swam in the yes. serpentine on Boxing Day and what else have you. But it's a new thing in rivers and, and not very safe either. But that's that's beside the point. But they already have more political clout than goodness knows how many years of anything. Thankfully, in, in, in England now, and to a degree in Wales, the Angling Trust is now bearing its teeth and is actually showing an ability to be able to do stuff. But, um, but Wales has got this problem that the Angling Trust isn't really that responsible for Wales. Um, they are. Um, they've come in, um, but obviously... With COVID, they're, they're two years behind where they should be. Um, so they should have more clout, um, be able to be bite harder in Wales. But unfortunately, with everything's happened, everything was put on the back burner. I hope um, within the next sort of 12 months that they're more into Wales. Um, I mean, the Welsh Salmon and Trout Angling Association, which used to represent every fly fishing club in the Hall of Wales, have amalgamated with the Angling Trust. Um, they've basically given the Angling Trust all the sort of responsibility, um, all the political responsibility, um, the conservation, and then the Welsh Salmon and Trout actually just manage the teams, uh, the international teams. So I hope and pray um, that they do come in. Um, 
and something's got to be done. And unfortunately, it sounds like it's like things don't get be done until it's too late. Well, mm. we're at that point now. We're at the edge of a cliff, and politicians don't. They just think, oh, they're just fishermen. But at the end of the day, angling brings millions and millions of pounds into the local economy. Um, you know, Tregaron Angling Club, which is my local club, they used to have anglers come from all over the UK and Europe to come and fish for trout fishing. But they don't anymore. We had that massive pollution about three years ago. Re uh, four years ago now, still hasn't recovered. Things have to change and have to change very, very quickly. Otherwise, you know, the next generation, you know, we're always looking at what, to get more kids into angling because we want people to become responsible for the rivers in the future. You know, you and I are getting old in the tooth and we need the youngsters to come up and, and sort of help out. But if we don't really stand up for it now, there won't be rivers for, for the future generations to actually go and fish. And it's it's a sorry state of affairs. And yeah, as you said, my old man must be uh, spinning now um, because, you know, he, he'd be broken hearted to see the standard of the level of fishing in Wales at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just um, I'm, I'm reading. I've, I've just finished reading a book about uh, about salmon. Um, it's not it's about salmon fishing. It's, a, a, if you like, a, a documentary book, a, a, a non-fiction book about about salmon in particular. But the same thing applies to trout. The hatcheries for rivers don't really work. They're, they're, they're not like having a natural reproduction of fish. And for, for trout rivers in Wales, you're not only dependent on the fish that live in the river, you're dependent on sea trout coming up and, and, and replenishing the stock as well. So it's a, when you get a river polluted like that, you, you, you save four years. And here we had a huge pollution on the Thames in 2007. Monstrous, monstrous, monstrous. The river was back in a year, you wouldn't have known it because it's tidal, the tides come in and out, the big bream move downstream, the dace move upstream, sea fish move in as well. We've got bass and everything. I'm 300 yards from the, the semi-tidal Thames here and there's bass and flounders down there now and mullet as well but and seals, unfortunately. But the... the, 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 the the Welsh rivers aren't like that. They're wild. They're mountainous. They're not lowland rivers that flow for hundred odd miles. They're 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 spate rivers, and and these things don't cure themselves overnight. And and, and our hatcheries are sticking plaster. I, I'm not sure they are. Having read this book, um, to, to be honest with you, Keith, people do say that the hatcheries don't work. And um, Dr. Mark Smith on the on the Y and Us Foundation, he used to say the same thing. But if you look at the likes of Iceland. Um, if you look at the time, um, great successful stories about the salmon, the, the, the way that um, Iceland and the salmon runs they're having now as opposed to 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. It's a massive, massive success story. The River Tyne is probably one of the best consistent salmon runs now in the whole of the UK. Why? Because they oh, yeah. had a hatch, you know? So... Even though there is quite a few things that say, yes, hatcheries don't work. Well, actually, they do a little bit. Oh, yeah, uh, they help, obviously. But it's, it's still got to be a naturally evolving thing, hasn't it? Well, cool, right. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, hatcheries definitely have to help. Um, but the habitat restoration that needs to be done in the upland streams, um, you know, the beds so the salmon and the sea trout can go and spawn, you know, all these things put together then result in cleaner, better rivers for the fish to return.
Yeah, that's. I'm, I'm just. I'm just vainly trying to look up the uh, the, the, the name of the book. I'm, I'm terrible at remembering names, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you what the book's called in a second. But hopefully, as you say, with with a bit more clout and with fish legal working for you and 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 good representation, the salmon the salmon and trout association active. On the Welsh rivers, I, I know they're they're a, a wonderful conservation group, but I don't. They know, and, and, um, and they've they've dipped in and out um, just because we had the Welsh Salmon and Trout Angling Association. Oh yeah, so they didn't want to step on, on their but uh, on their feet. So now the the all the part of that, eighty percent of their work going to the Angling Trust. I think uh, trout and salmon. Salmon and trout conservation should be coming in more and more to help. So, mm. I mean, the more people and organisations that have clout that come and help the rivers of Wales, the more chance that we've got, you know, that the people in Cardiff in the Parliament will actually listen to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, uh, I knew it was the Mark Kalensky book, but I'm trying to remember the name of it. Mark Kalensky, who famously wrote books, the, the, the Cod Book. Cod, the history of the fish that changed the world, and and other books. Salt. He's written about all sorts of commodities, including fish. And um, oh no, it's just this is um, salmon, a fish, the earth, and the history of a common fate. And it's uh, it's a, a damn good read as well. It's I mean, not as an angler, I don't necessarily I, I can see flaws in the um, in some of the arguments, and like you mentioned about hatcheries. Um, and, yeah. and because it, this is looking at it more as an ecological thing rather than an angling thing, but it's still it's a, it's a, w well worth a read if you get the opportunity to read it. Um, do so now. Uh, you're just returning a bit um, to your father. He was extremely keen and very active in getting people outside of angling involved as anglers wasn't he he loved introducing people to the sport by his writing by his actions uh, and and you followed a bit in his footsteps there haven't you um well following his footsteps um forced to take up angling um not sure really you know um, <laughs> there's a picture of me at 18 months with a fly rod in my hand in the, in the back garden um i used to um the, the unfortunate, this, I mean, it's quite sad, really. I can't remember my first fish that I caught because I was too oh, young. Yeah. Um, but I was fishing. Mum used to tell me before I was the age of going to school, so three and a half, four years of age, I was allowed to go and fish the River Tyvee. And it was from the road bridge to where the little stream comes in, uh, Nantacoon, um, which is the, the stream of the dogs. And it was a 30-yard, well, 25-yard stretch. And I was only allowed from the bridge to that little stream. And mum used to run the local post office. So all the old dears that were coming over, they'd look over the bridge, see me there with my wicker basket, my flask of tea and, and sandwiches and my fishing rod. And I just used to, used to go down three, four, five days a week. Um, then, because dad was a was headmaster, he'd come back after school. And then he'd take me up Tyvee Pools. He used to have to carry me to the side of the lake because the reeds were too tall so I couldn't walk through them. I'd be stumbling. So he'd carry me to the side of the lake and what he used to do, he used to leave me in one spot and he said, right, you've got like 30, 40 yards, that's it. Don't go there because you might fall in and don't go here, that's it. And then he used to fish all the way around and then he'd, he'd literally pick me up under his arm and carry me back to the car. 
And a few times, I've got to say this, a few times I had more fish on the bank than he had. I didn't have him fish the lake all the way around. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that, that was my sort of baptism into fishing. Um, and I fished all my life, you know, right through up into my teenage years. And then I accidentally got into casting. Never interested in casting at all. Um, and it was a couple of my friends, uh, Pete Kelly and Steve Wood from Aberystwyth, they used to compete quite uh, vigorously on, on a lot of the county shows and, and the game fair. And I remember I was at the, one of the CLA game fairs and they said, come on, have a go. And I said, why the heck do I want to put a piece of wool in a hoop? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Unless there's a fish underneath it. <laughs> well, exactly. So they went off and they entered me. 50 pence. And uh, I won. And I won a twelve pound tackle, twelve pound fifty tackle voucher, and out to a young Welshman of eleven years of age, twelve pound fifty tackle voucher for a fifty p investment was was you know made a lot of financial sense. Decent odds, those, yeah. Oh, really good odds. And then I thought, hmm, there's a bit more to this casting. Um, and I said to my old man, I said, listen, I'm 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 going to practice this. I said, make me better fisherman, anyway, I'll be more, more accurate. So in the back garden, we put five hula hoops. Um, the hula hoops started to get smaller and smaller. They were saucers, and then they were top of jam jars. Goodness uh, me. Yeah, you know, we just made, you know, if you, if you think you've got to put it in a big hoop and you can put it in a jam jar lid, then when you go and do a competition and the hoop is massive, it just looks huge. You can't miss them. So I practiced all through the winter and I went back to the CLA game fair. And first day, I won everything in the junior section. And this time, fair play to them, they put the first prize into a £15 tackle voucher. So I thought, hey, this is, this is even better odds now. So I won all six events. The second day I went to enter, they said, sorry, we can't do that. Why not? Because you won yesterday. You can't win, win today as well. I said, OK, um, can I go into the open professional against the men? And I said, of course you can. So I won all six events against the men, and I was only 13. <laughs> um, and then the next day, I went for the trophies. And honestly, Keith, I actually won £420 tackle voucher. So on the Sunday night, Sunday afternoon in the game fair, I'd be running around all the stalls, spending all my tackle vouchers and all that, and I had as much kit as, as I needed for, like, the next two years. So that went on for three years, um, and then... Um, the CLA game fair decided to ask me politely to to not enter anymore. Um, there, there was a blacklist, and I was number one on the blacklist. Uh, but, but did they so compensate I, by giving you the job and, and and paying you the equivalent of what you could have won? Because I know you've worked there, you little monkey. Because I've worked there with you. Well, now I mean, nowadays, yeah, move on twenty five years. You know, it's it's. I mean, it, it, to be honest, after after the, all the COVID and everything, um, it was just nice to get back to some form of normality this year yeah. in Ragley Hall. Um, it was so nice to see so many people, so many anglers um, enjoying the show. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, it, it's come full circle now. Um, I probably now cast more on grass uh, than I do on mortar. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't this year, I, I, because obviously most shows I haven't been around this year. So, uh, you know, normally I'd be doing up to 20, 25 shows a year. Well, this year was four. Um, 
but let, let's hope everything comes back next year. And um... oh, Fingers crossed. Yeah, we've all missed it so much. I mean, I know the big one is definitely on. I'm, I'm waiting for my contract to come through for that. That's the one down here at this end, the one, yes. at, uh, the one at Farnborough, which I, I look forward to enormously. Um, and and um, although they pay me for it, I don't actually take the money. I donate it to my charity. That goes, I donate it directly to get some fishing because... I don't say this, I would pay them to go because it's the only chance I get these days to see people and speak to people that I wouldn't normally see and speak to. People that I've known for 50, 60 years, some of them rock up and, and, and oh, do you remember when? And, and no. Uh, and some of the stories aren't always me. You know, I, I, my my name is transposed into stories that happened to someone else. But oh yeah, I know. And, and, but it is it, it. They're wonderful things to go to. And and, and uh, you know, I, I do as I say feel I feel guilty about taking the money, but I don't feel guilty at all about donating it uh, to go out on fishing. So that, that, that's that's where I'm from um, with that. Um, but now, now you. Um, you sort of um, castigated is the wrong word, but you sort of implied that you were lashed to the bank by your father um, in a nice, not lashed, but, but <laughs> fixed to the bank, let's say, by your father. It's all right. You, you, you're doing that now until I pick you up. Um, I, I've seen other um, female Morgans in the pipeline, the next generation. How, how, was that a similar thing? Uh, no. Um, they've always had the choice to come or not. Um, my eldest, um, unfortunately, is not well at the moment. Um, but she's oh, wish getting... her well from me. I wish her better from me, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, she's, she's been diagnosed with endometriosis, so oh. it's becoming more and more um, known about now. Yeah. So she's going through um, uh, uh, induced menopause at the moment. For a 23-year-old, that's that's tough. Um, she she would. She was into casting. She loved going to shows. She I remember, loved yeah. Cast. Um, and she, she, she actually won, she won in the game fair. She beat the men in the game fair um, at the four, 14 years of age and cast 33 metres with a 15-foot salmon rod. It was, it was just beautiful to see. I was so, so proud. And then my, my youngest, not so much of the casting, does demonstrate. And, I mean, there was, in a way... I, I hoped and prayed that they would join me in, in an arena um, or on a casting platform, um, and they did love it. And the reason was, I, I wish they did, and I hope they did, was that seeing young girls do it could inspire the young girls watching. Absolutely. For watching, it was a case of, hey, those are girls. Well, I, if the girl can do it, I can do it. Um, but also, it might inspire some young girls go, well, she's doing it. Why can't I do it? Mm. Um, and I've been, I mean, you know, Yasmin was demonstrating when she was four. She's now 23. And Tanya started when she was, well, actually, it was brilliant when Tanya, she started when she was three years of age. Um, we used to do the, the big game for the CLA game for in the main arena. And it used to be me and Ta uh, Yasmin. And then we had a special guest run on at three years of age in a pink T-shirt and do three or four casts of a rod and have a standing ovation, steal the show, and then run off again. Um, uh, you know, it was parents going, oh, it's so nice to see that young girls can do this. And But unfortunately, we're still, we're still not getting enough kids in it, Keith. But um, hopefully the one positive to come out of, of COVID is that, that a lot more people have... Either rediscover then their love for angling, 
um, or have more time on their hands to go fishing, or you know they've felt that they've sort of reassessing their life and go right. I've been working, 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 you know, and chasing the money, and then well, hold on, what about quality of life? And you know, we we've seen it in the um, the amount of rod sales, uh, rod license sales that have gone up massively. Mm. So. You know, if it's if it's near, if if it's people rediscovering their love for angling, I hope they bring their kids with them. So you know, we will get more and more of the younger generation coming into our sport. Yeah, we're we're finding that um, I've mentioned it again, because I'm fishing. We we, we do um, we do taster sessions and family fishing days, etc. And we had a family fishing day a couple of weeks ago. The weather wasn't very good. Um, we didn't have as many volunteers to help as we wanted, and we did it for three hours. And we had 90 people had their first go at fishing Brilliant. now and, and all sorts of ages, you know, and, and, and families and, and where we're where at the, the particular projects I'm talking about now is in North Alton in, in West London. If you ever drive down the A40, which you probably have all the way from one end to the other, um, yeah. you'll go past some mounds on the the southbound side of the A40 just as you're coming into London, just past North Alton Airport, Airport and our um, ponds are behind there. So yeah. the the um, the population demographic isn't mostly traditional angling. There is it's quite a number of, of Eastern Europeans who who live and breathe fishing, they're, yeah. and, and they're fantastic anglers. Once they assimilate into our way of fishing, and you know you don't take everything home, and and they get used to that, they're great. We've got some some great season ticket holders there that really love it, and they're in little tiny lakes, but and, and they love them, and. But the number of people we got, um, sort of South Asian families, and the mum having a go, and the mum after five minutes being quite happy to pick up a dozen maggots and throw them round a float, and quite and quite happy to get the the, the daughter to touch a fish, and yeah. you know we we get them. We nothing is ever forced. It's would you like to, and it always starts up ah, and running away. And hopefully at the end of the, and these are only 30 minute little taster sessions at, at the end, the hope is that they're at least stroking the, the, the just touching the head of the fish with their finger or holding the, the coach's wrist or the helper's volunteer's wrist as they throw the fish back. And, and they're getting some kind of, of, of interaction with the fish and then they come back. That's the great thing. We, yeah. from that, we do have a go sessions, which we, we, we make a charge for whatever charity, um, they, they're heavily funded and you, you couldn't do them for what we do as a business. Um, so, so they come and have an hour with our tackle, our bait and our coach for 12 quid. And, and that's cheap entertainment these days. Yeah, and, uh, and then a couple of, a couple of sessions, we ha only had one. I was talking to our CEO this morning, and she had someone who had two have-a-go sessions, sent her an email asking where they can buy the right tackle to come and fish at our ponds. Yeah, and that, that's, that's, that's great. That's, yeah, success story. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, if you can get the parents doing it, they yes. will bring the kids. You, it's not the other way around the kids. If the parents invest in it and see the benefit of it, they will bring their kids. And, and the kids, I mean, we used to do um, the Midland Game Fair, which is a massive show, and it was only a horse shoe a uh, horse jump Keith, and but they put some fish in there and we were we've seen kids you know as young as three four years of age catch their first ever fish yeah. boy see the yeah. smile on their face Absolutely. you know wins you know yeah and then the parents can see the enjoyment the kids have getting the parents involved and on board 
that makes such a difference. Yeah. And then and, bring and them back. The mums, I think, are critical because dad has quite often got something to do if he doesn't go fishing. But <laughs> mum will do it. And he, even if mum just sits behind reading a book or we've got a cafe next door, they go into the cafe, walk around the park. It's it, Mums are the, the key element, I think, in this. And... You know, mums are likely to like to bring daughters as they are to bring sons. And that's, you know, that we, we, we need and are definitely getting more diversity, definitely getting more diversity. One thing um, I, I remember about the show that when I first my jaw first dropped when I saw you casting, but I can't remember exactly how many rods it was. But you broke a world record for the number of rods um, in one go to cast with. How many was that? Um. We had a few challenges in the NEC, but the last one that we did was done in Milan. Um, they had the uh, Guinness Book of Records program over there, Il Guinnesso, um, and we had to fly over for it. Yeah, brilliant title there. And um, it was an indoor pool. Uh, and uh, the, for some reason, the Italian TV company wanted to um, do it on a budget. So they shot it, even though it was all being recorded, they were shooting as if it was live, so they wouldn't have to edit it afterwards. Yeah. So we were in, and we was an indoor diving pool. Um, so we set the rods up, ready to go, half past 10 in the morning. And we sat there. And then the satellite link between there and Slovi Slovenia or Slovakia, I'm not sure which one, where a world's strongest man was pulling this aeroplane, the satellite link went down. So we stayed, and we actually did it half past ten that night, right? Twelve hours with everything sorted, everything waiting. Um, so the, we did it because by ten o'clock, I said, "Right, that's it. We're packing up. We just take me back to the hotel. I've had enough." Um, and it was sixty-six rods. So that was that was, and still is the record, to be honest with you. Um, but it, it, to be honest with you, it, it, it sounds crazy, you know, but. I always used to do the history of the rod, which obviously green hat, split cane. Then a lot of anglers, um, I don't know where of it, it was tubular steel was the next one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tank aerials. Um, and I, I failed to find a tank aerial for years. I could find as many spinning tank aerial, spinning rods as yeah. I wanted. And, and even people like uh, Ackles and Pollock, the famous Apollo brand, they had yeah. their, their famous Ross salmon spinning rod that we used on the Thames as a feeder rod in the early 1960s. Well, uh, it must have been years, but Dad was actually at a, a sale, um, fishing tackle sale, and he's found a tubular steel fly rod, um, all cocks, and I've, and I've got it. So it went green art split cane, tubular steel, glass fibre, carbon boron graphite. Solid glass, was, then hollow glass. So I, I used to cast the six or seven rods at the same time, just to show the different actions of them um, and to show how rods had evolved and the actions of them and all different coloured lines and all that. And we were at the Royal Welsh Agricultural Show, which is a four-day show. And it was after the show one night, one of the boys said, well, how many can you cast with? I said, I don't know, never tried. I'm only doing the history of the rod. And then um, Dad, because I used to do my own um, commentary and then suddenly the old man piped up on the microphone. Oh, hold on. You haven't finished yet. I said, hold on. Why is he inter interrupting me now? What's going on? There's something going on here. And he, he said, right, we've got a challenge for you. And suddenly the, they brought another two, another two, another two. 
and they ran, ran out of rods before I stopped. So it went to like 20 or something like that. And then somebody from the Guinness Book of Records said, well, how much can you do? I don't know. And then it was done in the NEC a couple of times and then ended up, we did that one in, in Milan. Um, fair few years ago now, to be honest with you, Keith. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember it was a few years ago. That I, it must have been in... The, the towards the end of the night or during the mid 1990s because i know it was one of the reasons that inspired me to get you onto tight lines because of, of this prowess and i'd seen you there in your wonderful commentary um doing these kind of things and and uh, this this massive grip i mean i couldn't do it i've got tiny little hands but this this massive grip power that you've got where you hold the rods above the reel and and get a yeah. practice get back back to the different kinds of rods i've never cast with with Greenheart, and I've never cast with tubular steel, but I get the feeling that either cane or hollow fiberglass are the easiest rods to cast with. They're 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 the most forgiving. Right. Um, really surprisingly, a few years ago, um, there was a Welsh TV company doing um, this guy. Guy was going around Wales, and it was the title was Bill and Ola Llafir, which means living according to the book. And he was going through Wales and following this book that was written in the 1800s. And this guy had um, he was on Glanusk Estate, and he was fishing. Um, and in those days, he didn't have waders. It was hobnail boots, um, long socks, tweed trousers. And the guy, they phoned me up. He said, listen, have you got a green hat rod? Have you got a silk line? I said, yeah, I'll bring it along the thing. And I, honestly, he'd never picked up a fly rod before in his life. I said, listen, that's all you do. Lift off slowly. Wait to feel the rod load behind you and push forward. Three casts later, I swear to you, Keith, if you saw him cast you'd have thought he was an angler of 20 years. Mm -hmm. It was unbelievable. Modern rods, people cannot feel those rods working. Yeah. But this green hat, same as with the split cane, right? They are really slow. And when people say, oh, wait for the lot of, to feel the rod load, well, you can't. It, you know, your timing's got to be better with the modern rods. But with yes, all the rods, and I said to him, I said, come on, you're lying now. You've done this before. And he said, how I've never picked up a fly rod, honestly. And I went, well, I'll tell you what, you are actually casting like a pro. And he yeah. said, well, exactly what you said. Throw it back, wait to feel the, the load, and push it forward. He said, it's easy. I went, it's not as easy as you make it look, I'll tell you that. And, yeah, soft rods. Um, and I do, I mean, I've got a seven-foot, um, it's actually a carbon one, but it's a really, really soft one. And I use that with young kids, and I tell you what, they feel it. And and I mean, kids are brilliant to teach anyway because they do exactly what you tell them to do. You know, they have no preconceived ideas. Mm. They don't overpower it, and you just keep the instructions really, really simple, and and they get it so so quickly. You mentioned with your girls and, and their abilities to cast, and 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 a, a, a thirty-three thirty-three meter salmon line going out on a fifteen-foot rod. It, it's it's I've, I've fished with some 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 wonderful lady salmon anglers, and it's it's all about timing and and yeah. and precision. I, I, I've mentioned earlier before we started um, speaking through the microphone about our mutual mate Charles Jardine. And I was fishing with him one day, and I can't remember where it was. It was one of these days that we were invited to. And 
I knew where these trout were, and they were into the wind. To, to, to the, the space we had available on the bank, you had to cast into the wind and get them, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, 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 I could get the line out there, but the fly would finish up nearer the bank than the end of my line because I couldn't get any turnover. And, and Charlie wandered up with his six weight and went, oh, and look, he put 20 yards of line out, 18 yards of line probably, and turned the leader over. Yeah. No, no double haul. No, no perceived effort. Just no. the rod went back in a nice lazy arc and the line moved forward in a nice lazy arc and it landed on the water. There wasn't sort of a tidal wave going away from either side of the line. And I watched and I learnt more about casting. And I, I, Johnny Rolfe, who was a great course angler, gave me the first clues of, of casting when he was working in Walkers of Trowel. I didn't pick up a fly rod until 1992 uh, when he was working in Walkers of Trowel. And he took me out into their casting pool at the back. He said, right, it's forward one, two, back one, two. Forward one, two, back one, two. Don't do it any quicker than that. Yeah. And, and, and that was, that's what... Got me, and I'm now able. I'm, I'm nowhere near good enough, but I can at least instruct people enough they can get a line out. Uh, and but but fishing with the, and again I can't remember who. Someone gave me a seven foot cane rod with a silk line, and I, it might have been Pete Cockwell. But but try this, and it's unbelievable that the it takes. You, you don't. I don't need to have learned what I've learned about casting a fly when you pick up a comb even stops you breaking your wrist and going back too far. Everything about it is, is yeah, so, I mean, good. That's um, actually, like a split cane. I mean, because I've got um, built for me, which I was very fortunate, one of the last rods built by Partridge of Redditch, um, a seven, just over seven foot, seven foot one, seven foot two it was, dry fly rod. And I tell you what, to this day, there is nothing to touch it. It yeah. is unbelievable. And I remember speaking to an old friend of mine who, who is a carpenter. And he said, do you know the difference? He said, when you've got a wooden handled hammer, it's part of you. These fandangle, plasticky, carbony handled hammers, it's not. He said, you ask, speak to any old carpenter, it's a wooden handle. And it's like that with a, with a split cane. It that's, is. That's true, actually. You. When you think with the, the steel handled hammers, yeah. you can't feel anything. No, exactly, and that's exactly what he said to me. Ah, yeah, he said it's part of me. It, 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 I, I don't have to concentrate because it's like the hammer knows what it wants to do, and it's like a cane. It is really, really nice, and it's, it just slows you down. I mean, uh, I mean, I used to. Unfortunately, the rivers around here, you know, there's no fish in them, but I used to still love go down there, you know, of an evening, a couple of hours with that split cane rod, and it would just, you just relax. And, you know, the fish rose, yes, I casted it. But just the, the beauty of just casting that rod, it just yeah. calmed me down. And it was so beautiful. And it still is so beautiful. It's still in the rod room now. And uh, it comes out occasionally um, at shows or comes out occasionally. And I'll go out in the grass and all that. Unfortunately, not on the rivers anymore. But you, you do some, you still do casting instruction, don't you? I know you, you have regular classes. Yes. Um, to, I mean, Pre-pandemic, I, I used to do a lot of guiding. Um, that slowed of slowed down after the pandemic, but um, I'm doing organised um, courses now. I do one in South Wales in Garn Fruit Fishery, and I do one in North Wales Gryglute Fishery. I've got one coming up this Sunday, actually, um, oh, and then uh, I've got one next month uh, in South Wales. So I, I try to alternate each month. Um, so it's it, it, to be honest with you, it's great doing groups of six. Um, it doesn't put 
the individual under pressure. When you're doing one-to-one, when you're guiding one-to-one, it's great. But if you're doing a casting session or that, if you've got a group, they work together. Um, sometimes if you're, you're doing one-on-one, one-on-two, they lead, they feel a little bit sort of um, – there's safety in numbers then if you do a group of six. And yeah. someone will have the guts to ask that silly question. Um, and I always say, look, there isn't such a thing in angling as silly question. If you don't know the answer, ask it. Yeah. You know, and the last thing I want people to go away after the day and go, I wish I'd asked this, or what did he mean by that? Yeah. And I, that that's my opening line to every one of them. Every course is, look, you know, nobody's an expert. There's only there's only one expert. They've got fins and scales, and they, they swim around in the river. <laughs> you know, in the water, we just guess at it. Um, so, you know, and I, it's just a relaxed day. It's great. You know, we, we do theory, then we do casting, we have lunch, and then they're, they're, they're let loose on the fishery where I'm, I just go around and... More often than not, we, we, we do catch fish. And um, I had one gentleman on, on the one in North, the, the last one I did in North Wales, a Greg Lloyd, and he caught his first fish for 28 years. And he was like a big kid. He was shouting, screaming. <laughs> it was, I mean, the gentleman's, you know, just uh, just retired. And he said, you know, it's, it's, it's like I'm 15 again. You know, it's, it, it's that long ago when he caught the fish and he says this is brilliant this this is this is exactly what i need i i need something and it, it's just so nice to you know pass on um the knowledge i've had over 48 years of, of you know i mean I, I look i've been very very fortunate because um you know in in my casting career um i was taught to cast by the great and late lionel sweet um brilliant gilly down on the usk uh, british champion and we were at a sh- always at a, a show every year for four days um in those days there were no such things as radio mics um you know it was it was a stick mic with a cable and, and just two horns so the person doing the casting couldn't talk about it and dad being the raconteur he was he used to commentate on these demonstrators and Every time they used to ask for a volunteer. So from the age of four, I was the volunteer, you know, so I was always taught correctly. Um, then when, when <laughs> you're when, volunteering or else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was one of those. And then when I got better, you know, I, I was taught by um, Mike Weddle, who's a former world champion. Mm-hmm. Then I spent a weekend with the, the, the late and great Jack Martin. Now he was a heck of a character, unbelievable, brilliant caster, world champion. Um, and I remember. Um, he was teaching me to cast uh, tournament salmon rod, 17-foot, 120-grain line, right? It was unbelievably heavy. Never cast one before. And I had a little habit that just occasionally I'd turn my shoulder on the back cast, which would mean that the line would slightly go behind my head. And I caught my back of the neck with a line, and they cut a whole line of blood coming down my neck. And he said, what's the matter, boy? And I went, it hurts. He went, doesn't matter. Carry on. It'll teach you to be straight, he said. Right, okay. <laughs> so I actually, I did it again. So I got two bloodlines coming down the back of my neck now. I'm thinking, it's, 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 I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this. And then he said, right. He said, I'm going to go down 60 yards in front of you. I want to check what your forward delivery is like. I went, yeah, yeah, no problem. I thought, that is the biggest mistake you've ever done. So you went 60 yards in front of me. I absolutely powered this line, right, straight towards it. 
as it went towards him, I just checked the line and the whole thing just cracked near him. He came back up and he said, I think we'll take a break now. I said, okay, we'll have a cup of tea, he said. And he turned his back on me and there was like a pig's tail of blood on his back where this line had cracked on his back. And I just started laughing and I went, Jack, it does hurt when it catches you on your back, doesn't it? And he turned, <laughs> touche, touche, right? And it was brilliant. We had a great weekend up in Scarborough. Um, so, you know, having had that and having had that sort of great teaching um through the years, you know, it's just nice now to be able to pass it on to, to other people in the courses. Apart from, we, we won't count um, England as abroad. Do you do any fishing abroad? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I used to. Um, I still love to go to Sweden, Norway. Um, one, of, one of the sort of the nicest places I've been to is uh, Tasmania. Um, I've got an open invitation um, with a friend of Malcolm Cross to go down and stay with him. Um, it's it's a beautiful country. It's it's like turning the clock back, um, and they've got fantastic lakes there. Um, great river fishing. New Zealand is the one place that's on my bucket list. Um, I could have gone there in ninety six. It was yeah. I was actually over in Australia um, doing a bit of work with Shakespeare. Um, I was actually the guest speaker in the first ever Australian fly fishing championships, um, and spent two days helping them um, with their constitution and um, did the presentation there. And the New Zealand uh, Fly Fishing Federation found out I was over there and they said, oh, can you come up to New Zealand on your way home? I said, love to. Um, and they said, if you can give us a sort of five, six days of tuition and all that, um, then you can you can go and fish where you want. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of boys will want to take you out, which was great. And it was on the cards and unfortunately, I used to work, do quite a bit, few demonstrations in Germany for um, four week ends throughout the year. And the first one clashed with the trip to New Zealand. And the guy they used to run them said, well, if he doesn't come to the first one, he won't do all four. And it was too much money to, to lose. So I had to forget about my trip to New Zealand. So, you know, it's been a fair few years since that organized trip. So I've got to get back there. Um, I'll get back. I've got to go over there, to be honest with you, because I, I keep seeing wonderful pictures um, and, you know, great films from down under there. And it, it, it it's a, a river's angler's paradise, to be honest with you. So I'm, we, I don't... We've spoken about the relative success or lack of of hatcheries, but and I'm not 100% certain this is right, but didn't the trout in those countries start here? Yes. Um the I know this because I, I in Hobart there is a trout museum um, where they brought trout over um, from Loch Leven. and I'm not sure I'm not hundred percent now was it the second or the third attempt to take the eggs over but what happened they, they packed them um, on ice and hessian sacks and when they went past round the Cape of Good Hope or wherever it was. The, the, the ice melted and, and they locked the eggs. So it was either the second or third time they packed them in moss, ice, hessian sacks, and they managed to get to Hobart. And they literally took these eggs because the ice was just about gone when they got into Hobart and they ran to the nearest river 
and put the eggs in there, bury them in there, and that's where the first Loch Leven fish actually came from, was in Hobart, and there's a trout museum there. Um, and I'm not sure then were they transported from there to New Zealand, but, you know, the, all the brown trout started as uh, from the strain from Loch Leven. It's an incredible story, you know, yeah, having read, having read, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned the... Um, the, the salmon book and the cod book. I've also read the ice book, which isn't Mark Kalanski's, but it's a book of how, how the ice trade started, how it used to be shipped around the world from, from North American lakes and how they discovered sort of insulation and stuff. They used to pack it in water, which was the worst thing they could do. So they, they eventually worked out it's got to be as dry as possible and it started being sawdust. But that, that, that's, that's another story and gives you a, a clue into my reading. It's either that or Harry Bosch or Jack Reach or something. But anyway, that's, uh, that, <laughs> that's something else. So, looking forward, maybe that uh, Australia is going. They're, they're talking about, I think, February, March time, maybe to start opening their borders up a little bit. Let's uh, let's hope that happens. That would be great. So, um, if that does happen, we can put that as somewhere more or less next on the list. But but have you got any any plans for anything new imminently, or is it more of the same? More of the same at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm 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 hoping that that country and county shows start. Um, putting their dates in for next year. Um, hopefully, re we, we launched a new rod pre-COVID um, with Daiwa, the HM rod, um, which we launched it at Glasgow Angling Centre and then COVID shut the whole country down. Um, so thanks for that. Um, so hopefully more on, on the cards for them. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's more courses, more individual tuition, and uh, then we'll see where we go from there, to be honest with you, Keith. I've got a couple of your rods here. There's, you can see this rack of clothes behind me, the pink ones at the end. They're my wife's ex-riding clothes, and all the scruffy ones behind me are my fishing clothes, but there's a shelf above that, and there's um, there's a, 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 a Hal Morgan or a diver inspired by you trout rod there, and in the rack over – oh, no, it's up there as well. There's a 15-foot a salmon rod. But, uh, yeah, that um, I, I, I've christened only the once, but I did uh, I did get it. In fact, it's, I noticed it's in Angling Times either this week or last week. I caught it from the Glendelvine Beat, where uh, where the where the world record salmon come from. Miss Ballantyne's salmon yes, came from. Yeah. It wasn't quite as big as that. It was only uh, only an eleven pounder. But when it's your first one, it doesn't matter how big they are. It's does not it? what size it is. No, no, and it's not only you, Nigel Bothaway. Actually, he he got a couple of the HM rods as well. I was talking yeah. to him. Um, oh, a couple of months ago and uh, convinced him to go and buy them and uh, he did send me a nice message saying that he, he'd already christened it um, and he was after another one <laughs> yeah. oh, on the blag then <laughs> now, you, you're obviously you're an extraordinarily gifted caster and a fantastic angler that, that's in your genes and in your blood or however you want to describe it um, the, the first thing if somebody ever says to me I want to start fly fishing. What should I do? The first thing I say is buy a pair of polarized sunglasses. Now, so that tip, I've already used that one. So if, if you had someone that said either they wanted to start fly fishing or dramatically improve the fly fishing they, they do, what's the first thing that comes into your mind to tell them? Instruction. Nothing else. Um, unfortunately, in this country, um, we're not like America. Um, you know, if you if you went to America, most anglers are casting instruction, then guides, guides, guides all the time, and that's how they improve quite quickly. Um, you know, we have the tradition in this country of 
you get taught by a friend. Um, and they might be a good fisherman, but what they can do is pass on their bad habits. And, you know, best will in the world, they, they think they're teaching you correctly, but there's only so far you can go. And then, you know, if you haven't got the right foundation, then the end product's not going to be right. And you're going to end up frustrated. Um, and, and some people even walk away from the sport. I, I always say, you know, casting instruction or a, a day, I mean, like the foundation day, like I do, it, it's an easy way to get into the background. I even tell people not even to buy rods, reels and lines before doing a day because they don't know what they're buying. You know, after, after a day's tuition, they have the confidence to go out and actually purchase. And the one thing I always tell people with fishing rods, you have to try before you buy. Um, you have to not wiggle it in the shop as you see at some anglers do, but you actually have to cast it. And the one piece of advice I always give people is when you're trying a rod for the first time or if you're trying, you're, you're upgrading your rod, always try it on a, with a floating line but also try it with the fastest sinking line that you're going to put out on that rod. Because some people say, oh, this rod's brilliant for fishing dries, but it's absolutely hopeless for fishing with a sinking line. Because um, it could be a little bit too soft to handle that. And it's not the actual physical weight of the line, of a sinking line. It's just because a sinking line travels faster in the air. And it can overload a soft rod. So... I always try and advise them to do that. And the majority of, of fishing shops now, some have casting lanes next door to them, or, you know, they even allow you to go out in a car park and, and try it. You know, and they'll even give you a line to try it. And, you know, everybody says, oh, what's the best rod on, out on the market? There isn't a best rod. There's a best rod for an individual. Mm -hmm. And it can be the shape of the handle. It can be the action of the rod. One rod will feel more comfortable in your hand than another when you're casting. And if you've got a, a, a rod that feels comfortable, that's the one you go and purchase because then you are comfortable, which means you're more relaxed when you cast. And and if the more relaxed you are when you're casting, the better the cast will be. It's a bit like golf in that regard, isn't it? And I know people that have, have taken up golf and, and been hackers. I've never played, never even picked up a club in anger, in anger. But I know lots of people that have. And to take the next step, They've got to forget everything they've ever learnt yeah. and start the beginning again. And 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 I, I think it's a bit like that um, with, with fly casting. Well, one of the one of the issues I think we've got is that some of the fisheries that we've got, it's so easy to catch a fish with never casting more than ten yards, nor very accurately. That that sometimes you get a false impression of how good you are. I mean, you could, and and this is no disrespect to the fisheries whatsoever, but if you go to some of the stalking fisheries. Yeah. You only need five feet of line out at the end of your rod and a leader, and you're going to go back with a limit of fish weighing 40 pounds. You know, yeah. which, which is, which, you don't, sorry, Kip, but you don't even need a, a, a line out of your uh, tip ring. You just no. the leader and you drop yeah. it down. You know, yeah. and yeah, no disrespect to the fishes or, or the anglers that actually do that. Um, but then, you, you know, anglers go through stages, I think, that they go, how many fish can I catch? Then it goes, what's the biggest fish you can catch? You know, and then, you know, people evolve um, to how much fun can I get out of this? You know, um, enjoyment, you know, and it's like I love going fishing for wild brown trout up the lakes near me. And sometimes I'll just sit there, you know, and yeah, I'll have a cast now. I remember years and years ago, I would, well, not years and years ago, about seven, eight years ago, I was over in Norway 
And it was just after I'd been doing a lot of DVD work and I'd been doing some filming um, for Horse and Country. And I'd literally had a director go, right, catch a fish, right, catch a fish. No, we can't fish here. The angler's not right. You've got to go over here. And then I'd done a lot of competitions and I had this 100-yard beat. And then I had to catch fish in that beat. And then I got to this river in Norway and I sat on a rock. And the guy with me said, are you going to fish then? I said, no, I'm just going to sit here. Why? Well, nobody tells me I've got to catch a Nobody's telling me I've got to catch a fish. Nobody's saying action. Nobody's saying, right, you've got three hours. The, the session starts now. I just sat on the rock for 10 minutes. Then I just, I, and it was just a little riffle in front of the rock. I put an F, size 16 F fly on, bang that, little grayling of about half a pound, took the dry fly. I hadn't got off the rock. I went, that's beautiful. Put it back in, reeled up. He said, I carry on hell. I went, nah, don't like this water. And I walked half a mile down. And I thought, oh, this looks nice. Because in a competition, you can't do that. No. With a camera crew, you can't do that. Yeah, and it was right. so nice, you know. And that's my love of fishing now. And also passing on you know, to the, to the other people that are wanting to learn. And um, it, it's difficult to turn around to someone who, who's had a four fish limit of, as you said, 40 plus pounds to say, well, you can't really cast that well, you know, and, you know, you take someone from that environment and then put them on the banks of Grafham or Rutland. Well, you know, you, you're going to need more than a few yards of line out, out the tip of your rod to, to catch a fish, you know, and um, it, it is, it's surprising that I, I wish in this country that it was more on the basis of, of golf and as they have in the States, that people would go and teach and learn um, because the standard of casting is good but could be better. Um, yeah. we've, got, we've got a great club, a guy, a new guy, um, Rob Middleton in our club now. Um, he's come over from the dark side. Um, he's come from course fishing and he's seen the light, so he started fly fishing. And, and he, it's his first year with, with, with the club and um, I was out with him on Friday. and No, sorry, Saturday, practicing. And I went, Rob, for God's sake, stop putting too much effort into your cast. Look, you know, and it was... Th- Three false casts. I said, Rob, look, I'm doing one false cast and I'm getting the same distance. Look, just calm down, just thing, you know, and just slowly, you know, gradually, he started relaxing and he started getting further, you know, and little little bits of instruction like that aid people so much. Yeah. It's it's very different in course fishing, of course, because it's all, you know, it, it's gone for, dist- for just casting, you push. Yeah. For real distance casting, you pull and it's your left hand that does all the work. And that really is, is that's a double haul. Only you're yep. just holding the line on a double haul cast rather than the rubs. I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about here, but that's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a different thing. But you know, the best thing I ever did to enjoy my fishing, to enjoy my fly fishing, I bought a season ticket. Yeah. And that immediately took the pressure off. Yeah. I'm paying 46 quid. I've got to catch me four fish. Yes. Took all that off, and, and I, I, whatever it was, it was quite a lot of money. And I'm going back a few years. In fact, I didn't buy it. My wife bought it for me. But it was like for Siam Park, which is a very expensive fishery uh, yeah. because it's in London. So it's going to be more expensive. It's got a big hotel in the grounds. It's a very, very, a very lovely fishery um, for somewhere that's in the middle of London. And I think the season ticket was about 350 quid. But yeah. that gave me 50 fish. So I didn't have to go to the end where all the fish live under the trees. I could walk around and, and catch one where there weren't any fish. 
and and it made such a difference. And, and I caught one at seventeen pound twelve, which helped as well. <laughs> but but that that really changed my life as a fly angler because it stopped me needing to catch a limit. And even when I go to Diva and I, I buy a three or a four fish ticket, if I catch one, good. If I catch two. Even better. If I don't catch any, I've had a lovely cup of tea. I've chatted to some great people, met some yeah. lovely company on the bank, and 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 enjoyed my day in in wonderful surroundings. So yeah, I I, I get exactly where you're coming from. Exactly it's, where you're coming from. It's yeah. fresh pressure off, and it's it's what I I call the limit mentality. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a case of right. I'm allowed to catch six, so I need to catch six. Yeah. Otherwise, I haven't had a good day. And and it, that's not what fishing is all about, you know. As I said, it's the numbers, it's the size, and then you 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 get to the other side, you know, and and it's down to the enjoyment. But we're a limit country, aren't we? You, you get on the motorway, you've got to drive at seventy. If you don't, if there's someone in front of you driving at sixty-five, you're to I don't because I've got a, I've got a speed limiter and a cruise control. But you want to flash it? Why, why don't you on that road if you only want to do sixty-five? This is seventy. It's the same thing. Listen, mate. It's been fantastic talking to you, and I say this to so many of my, 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 my shipmates on here. I get so little opportunity to speak to people that I've worked with and, and, and interacted with down the years for such a long time, you know, at Daiwa and, and at shows and everything. And, and of course, Tight Lines, I had, that, was, that was my dream show. They even paid me to do that. <laughs> and it, it was fantastic because I got my heroes into the studio or I went out fishing with them and it was fabulous. And now, thanks to this wonderful podcast, that was wonderful from my point of view, um, I've got the similar opportunity. How Morgan, it's been sensational talking to you mate thanks so much for sparing your time and uh hopefully if you're at the big one i'll see you there thanks keith it's been a pleasure we thoroughly enjoyed it catching up with an old friend cheers mate i'll speak to you soon cheers Thank you to my latest shipmate Hal Morgan for joining me aboard the Strange Boat podcast for a fabulous cruise down memory lane. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be back soon with a different crew, so make sure you like and subscribe this podcast so you never miss a thing. There's plenty in the back catalogue too, so have a browse through there. Thank you very much for listening and tight lines. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Helen Lewis, and I want to tell you about a podcast I've made for BBC Radio 4 and BBC Sounds. It's called The New Gurus, and it's about how everywhere you look on the internet, people are giving advice. Advice they claim will transform your life. Advice that gets them thousands, even millions of devoted followers. These online prophets are telling us how to eat, how to think, how to get rich, how to find love, how to manage our time. So how exactly are these gurus changing our lives and the world around us? And who holds them to account? Find out by subscribing to The New Gurus wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Sports Social Podcast Network Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.